Welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and there is no game recap today, obviously, but there is plenty of controversy. ESPN released their 25 under 25 list, somewhat similar to like what Forbes does with you know gazillionaires, billionaires, whatever, uh, but with the top 25 basketball players under the age of 25. And Gavin, there was a very large missing piece to that puzzle. Do you want to let the people hang or you want to tell them who was missing off that list? RJ Barrett. This is sacrilegious. I'm vomiting in my mouth, even, even putting the words out there was not on their list. And you know, it'd be, it'd be one thing if the list was entirely based on Alex, who are the current best players in the NBA um, under 25. There, there would be a case. I'm not, I, I might disagree with it. I might push back, but no, this list was based on future potential. So essentially my understanding of it is who would you rather have for the rest of their careers? And RJ Barrett was apparently not one of those 25 guys, which is flat out wrong. And we're going to tell you why right now on locked on Knicks. You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the locked on podcast network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. I won't spoil who it is, but you might be able to guess. Uh, at any rate, I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, play-by-play broadcaster by day, podcaster by night. And we are breaking down ESPN's 25 under 25 list. It is the allegedly 25 best players under the age of 25, or I should say, by their own criteria, it's it's like the twenty five players that they think have the best future potential at the under the age of twenty five. Um, I'll read their actual description here: uh, which young NBA stars are taking over, and which teams have the best collections of young talent in the league. Bobby Marks, Kevin Pelton, and Mike Schmitz rank their top twenty five players under the age of twenty five based on future potential. Note, each writer's individual rankings are listed at the bottom of the story. These rankings are an average of those ballots. Uh, so, Gavin, uh, Bobby Marks even kind of went after someone on Twitter because someone the, – the big one that got, like, NBA Twitter all a flitter was uh, Devin Booker being at number eight and being well below a, a number of guys. And Bobby Marks' uh, uh, rationale for that was this is a ranking of – you know, how good they might still have yet to become as well, not just how good they are right this second. Uh, so, you know, Devin Booker barely qualifies at this point. He's almost 24 and a half years old. There's a number of guys like that on this list that are very nearly aged out of the list, but just barely snuck in still. And, uh, you know, that was kind of what got everybody talking. But then 
Knicks fans were like, hey, uh, the Knicks have a, a certain R.J. Barrett that's 20 years old and is shooting way better across the board this year than he did last year, uh, is playing better all in all, just like looks like he could be blossoming into a, a potential future star, and yet got left off this list. So I figured we could go over the list um, maybe just one by one from 1 to 25. I think we kind of said that the top 10 – pretty reasonably is is players that we wouldn't put over RJ ourselves. Uh, and then, you know, beyond there, once you start getting into the teens, it, it, you know, it starts to get a little more dicey. So I'll just start with Luka Doncic, I guess, who's number one. And then I can toss it to you. But Doncic is number one. He's 22 years old. Obviously, I mean, we know the story with him already. He's really, really good. He gets, you know, triple doubles like mad. He can score at will. He's a fantastic passer, a uh, great rebounder, you know, a good enough defender to, you know, to provide very positive value on the court. I, there's really no debate to that one, Gavin. So obviously Doncic is number one and that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone who listens to the pod knows I'm a, I'm a big Luca head. So no argument. Uh, Zion Williamson at number two. I think there could be a case for a little bit of debate there. Interestingly enough, the guy I would have probably closest to him is Jason Tatum, who was all the way down at five. And a year ago, you would have definitely seen Tatum ahead of Zion on this list, or at least on most people's list. Um, but but Zion, I mean, just playing at an insane level offensively, the defense still has a, has a long way to catch up to it, but just looks like a completely unstoppable force, force of nature right now, which for as good as guys like Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker are his scorers. You, you can't necessarily say that about them. Zion feels like a once. I mean, I guess I guess Giannis is Giannis had um, or, or continues to have some similarities, but but a, a rare level of dominance as a scorer, I should say. Uh, did you take any issue with Zion being a two? Do you think there's some debate there, or do you think he should be consensus two? Yeah, I, I'd say. I mean, I I guess maybe the only guy that I would put in that general category would also be Tatum. Because I'm not 100% sold on the next guy on the list either. I, you know, I guess maybe though that's kind of where you start getting into the territory of like, all right, what about Devin Booker? You know, like I know that he's almost aged out of the list, but like, so are some of these other guys that are somewhat high, you know. And Booker is showing improvement, you know, this year. I, I think that, well, I guess I guess you could argue he's he's mostly just put up the numbers that he has been putting up, but just on a much better team now that he has Chris Paul there, but. I don't know. I, that would I would be reasonable, you know, and, and say like I think Devin Booker could potentially be a, a dark horse for that spot, but I don't know. It's it's iffy. I, I would say that Zion is fine there because he's so young and he's already done so much and has shown so much potential. I, I think I'm fine with that. I, it, although the next one I would say maybe is the one that gives me a little more pause, which is Lamelo Ball at number three. Now, he's like the super young one on the list, uh, 19 and a half years old. And, I mean, he was posting crazy numbers before he went down, uh, almost 16 points on 45, 37 and a half, and 79 shooting splits, which is fantastic for a rookie. And that, that 37 and a half percent from three was on volume as well. Six rebounds, six assists, one and a half steals. I mean, LaMelo Ball is fantastic. Um the, the league got robbed of of a very talented player for the rest of the season when he went down with his broken wrist. So, uh, you know, it, it's 
I, I could see the case for him being there, but I think that there, I, I think that's another spot where I'd probably take Tatum. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't have a huge issue with taking Zion at two, but I would probably still put Tatum at number three. Cause I think that he's getting better progressively still and still has room to room to grow and plays, plays the wing, which I think is a little more valuable of a position as well. Like if I, if we were doing a draft right now of the entire NBA or even just of all the guys on this list or that were eligible for this list, you know, I'd feel comfortable sacrificing the couple years of uh, the couple years already that Tatum has been in the league to take him over a guy like ball. Just because I might not get him for as long for the rest of his career, but I think his peak could potentially be higher than balls. Uh, so I, I think Tatum is maybe the guy that I would throw up there instead. Yeah, I think I think defense is the real differentiator there, right? I, I don't think Lamelo ever catches up on that end. And you can argue like Lamelo is, is is a transcendent passer. Like he's someone at the end of his career probably going to be considered one of the ten to twelve best passers to ever play the game of basketball. And I know that that sounds insane on the surface. I I personally believe. He's that good. Um, so it's it's. Do you want Tatum's shot creation and defense, or Lamelo's passing? That it's it's a real toss up to me. It's an interesting debate, and, and it's close enough that I don't have any issue with the way it came out on ESPN. I think it's close though. Uh, Donovan Mitchell being at four though, that I take a little bit more of an issue with. Um, I, I just Alex, I'll, I'll throw this to you. If you had just swapped Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell at the beginning of their careers, do you think? their team's success would be any different because I don't, to me, they're, they're roughly equal as players. I'm, I'm a son's guy. So I'm, I'm always going to take Booker, but being as objective as I possibly can, I, I don't see how you have four spots between those guys. And I, I think it's just, it's this obvious bias of, of like failing to remove context and say for Mitchell's entire career. And even this year where the Suns are really good, he's just had a better team around him. Like if you were to build a team to accentuate the abilities of Donovan Mitchell, you'd say, let's surround him with shooting and a rim runner on offense and and, and a bunch of good, versatile defenders on, on the other end of the floor and a great rim protector to back him up. And he's had all that in his whole career, and he's been empowered in that way. Booker's been empowered to take a lot of shots, but with none of the supporting cast to make it any easier. So I, I, I'm, I'm kind of stunned that there, there are four spots between those guys, and I think it's I think it's a little bit of recency bias, which sounds weird to say when, when Booker... Um, is leading like the third best team in the NBA right now. But I, I think it's just that Mitchell is on an absolutely loaded jazz team and taking advantage of it. Yeah. And you know, the, again, to your point, there's not really any context there. Like it says this season, Mitchell, part of their rationale was this season, Mitchell is taking a step forward as a three point shooter, making a career high 40% while shooting a career high 8.6 per game. And as a playmaker's assist rate is up nearly a third on a per minute basis. Like, yeah, that all might be true, but you got to consider that he's playing on one of the most talented shooting teams in the league with a really good rim finisher in Rudy Gobert on the inside, you know, who sets really good screens for him and everything to free him up. Like, I, I'm sure uh, uh, our boss, David Locke, would be happy to know that I'm sort of, uh, you know, crediting Rudy Gobert for part of Donovan Mitchell's success because he loves Gobert and his screen assists. But like, it's true. Mitchell has gotten to play with this really good supporting cast this whole career. And that's in part, I think led to his development going the way that it has. But, you know, to your point, I, I, I don't think if you switched him in Booker, that there's almost any change um, as far as, you know, how the jazz are doing and, or maybe even how the Suns are doing for that matter. I mean, I think that they're pretty similar players and, you know, I, 
I don't know that I would put either of them over Tatum, to be honest. And I, I guess I could just say now then, Jason Tatum is number five. I think we've already made a pretty good case for him because <laughs> we said that he should be higher. So we could just skip over him, I guess, and then go to De'Aaron Fox, comes in at number six. Um, another one that, I don't know, I mean, with him, it, it's sort of the opposite of that Mitchell point there where with Fox, I say, how much is he really, you know, he's putting up good numbers and stuff, but how much is he really affecting his team? Because we do see some of these guys that have the ability to at least make their team somewhat respectable uh, almost by themselves. And then you have De'Aaron Fox, who's never played on a, a team that's made the playoffs since he's been in the league. And that doesn't seem like it's going to change this year. Um, so, I mean, uh, at least not as a there are they in the play-in race? I'd be lying if I was like fully educated. I guess my, my yeah. question though is with that, I mean it's simple you could basically say Fox is where Booker was a year ago, right? Which is why it's kind of yeah. interesting that he's he's ahead of him. But the thing is, outside of Luca, you'd say that about all these guys, right? Because Zion's number two on this list, and obviously, like you give him a little bit more leeway because he's he's a few years younger, but the Pelicans have mostly sucked too. And you could argue Zion has a better supporting cast than Fox does. So I th- I really think outside of Luca, like I, I just I, I think it's it's so rare that one guy can drive winning uh, with just a subpar roster. It it really is just like that that Luca Lebron. Um, there's just not a lot of other people on that list. Like tier of guys, Kawhi maybe like at his best. Steph is kind of doing it this year, kind of not. It's just re. It's it's a really high standard. But I but I hear you to some extent on Fox. I don't really put that on him. The bigger thing with him is just the, is the three point shot, and it's gotten better this year, but it's still not great. And, and I think these other guys on this list, like Mitchell, Tatum, Booker, right? Just complete scorers. And I, I wouldn't, I would say Fox is just, he, he's so good around the rim, but he's just a notch below that probably. And then I, I don't know about you. I think Ben Simmons over Booker is, is just insanity. Like I, I get that, like the upside offensively, the athleticism, the fact that you can make a compelling case that he's the best defender in all of basketball. But I mean, the guy, he's still, he's always going to be a liability on offense in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I think the shooting is is going to hold him back forever, and and I probably wouldn't have put him uh, ahead of ahead of Booker either. Now we did want to get through the whole top ten in this first segment, but we're running a little long, so I think now's the time, Gavin. We're gonna crown our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week real quick before we continue with these rankings and scrutinizing them. And yeah, we sort of hinted at it already. But R.J. Barrett is our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And it's not just because we're, you know, angry that he was left off this list. It's also because he's having a really good week. Uh, you know, the Knicks, it might be a little iffy with how they're playing at the moment. Uh, they've they've had a number of losses, just had that close loss to the Nets last night. But, you know, they're, they're playing pretty well all in all. R.J. Barrett is a big part of that. He is, you know, he's really enjoying himself out there and you know it's only worth it if you enjoy it and that's that's the case with Michelob Ultra too you know the it only has 2.6 carbs and 95 calories and RJ Barrett you know is looking pretty fleet of foot it oh wait no he can't he can't enjoy alcoholic beverages yet he is only 20 years old and somehow not on the the 25 under 25 list ridiculous but uh once RJ Barrett is old enough to drink if he wants to you know, have something during the season. It's not going to weigh him down and keep him from being able to run at Tibbs' practices and all that stuff. 
you know, there is only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories in Michelob Ultra. Uh, Julius Randall maybe can have one for him. I don't know. Although Julius is also apparently mostly given up alcohol. Uh, but at any rate, joy creates success. And RJ Barrett is clearly enjoying himself out there on the court. He's having, you know, really great nights, both scoring and passing the ball and defending. And, you know, you can always see the the big smile on his face if he hits a big shot or how excited he gets for his teammates or whatever. And that's because enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. And RJ really, really embodies that when he's on and playing a good game. So that brings us to our our operative question here. Are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? I would say that RJ Barrett wins because he's happy. He is 20 years old. He is one of the 25 best players under 25 in the NBA. And he's going out there every single night and proving doubters wrong. You know, he might, uh, based off his demeanor, I think he's going to look at this list and he is so unshakable that he will probably laugh at this and it will give him enjoyment to see himself left off yet another list after being left off the uh, all-rookie teams last year, which was another big slight to him. So RJ Barrett, crack one open in about six months' time when you're old enough to. You are our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week for this week. All right, and we're back. And we have you covered on all the Knicks news that you need, including snubs on superlative lists like this one. Uh, But if you want news from all the rest of sports, get all the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Be sure to follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. And that app is spelled A-U-D-A-C-Y, Odyssey. Check it out. Cool new app that is carrying lots of your favorite podcasts, including all the Locked On podcasts. So, Gavin, we're, we're moving right through this list. We said we were going to get through the top 10 in the first segment, but ran a little long. I think we've talked about Booker enough so we can get past the eight spot, say, yes, he was snubbed. Uh, Bam Adebayo, number nine. Um, I don't have an issue with. I think he's a really impactful player. The Knicks, you know, we got to see him firsthand in those three Heat games, uh, none of which the Knicks could come out with a win in. And he's clearly, you know, a guy that can impact the game on both ends of the floor. Really good passer for a big man. Um, you know, a good finisher. He's got a developing touch from the mid-range. I don't know. I, I think this, he's very well earned with this spot, particularly because he's not quite 24 years old yet. So I, I think that was a good pick there, Gavin. I, I don't know if you have any objections to him at number nine or not. Uh, yeah, him, him versus Shea is, is really interesting because Bam, Bam is certainly the more unique of the two, and it's it's so hard. I mean, every team in the NBA is looking for a big like him, right? A center who is, is a legitimate impact two-way guy who you can keep on the floor against any lineup in the world. That's that, that that's that's real unicorn status right there. SGA... Six foot six, they know in the article one of only eight players in the league, averaging twenty three and five on over sixty percent true shooting. I didn't realize he was up to forty two percent from three. That, that's pretty crazy. It's insane how efficient he is given the surrounding talent in Oklahoma City, and they literally had to shut him down because he, he was winning. He's winning too many games for them. I think I would. It's painful, but I would. I would probably slightly, slightly, slightly lean SGA, but it, it's so close. I, I take no issue with that as well. Brandon Ingram, um, I don't really love him as a player, just stylistically, but he's really good and really young, so I have no issue with that at 11. I mean, him and Jalen Brown and Jamal Murray, you could you could put these three guys in any order. I think I might even lean to having Murray 
as the highest of the three. Like he's he's probably the one offensively. I pretty easily have the most confidence in, even though he got off to a slow start this year. He's really picked it up the last few weeks, and, and neither of those other two guys have anything like the playoff run he put together in the bubble. So I would maybe lean Murray, but just, just because defensively he's so far and back at Brown and, and doesn't have to carry as big of a load as Ingram, um, I'm not I'm not really broken up about any of those rankings. Yeah, I would probably, if I was going to reorder the 11 through 13 with Ingram, Brown, Murray, I would probably do Brown, Murray, Ingram. Although, I guess it just depends on what your team would need. Like, if you need a do-it-all player that can score, defend really well, you know, all that stuff, I would say that that Brown is the guy. Um, if, you know, you need a, a scoring point guard, you know, an a initiator and all that stuff, Murray obviously has proved himself to be pretty damn good at that. Um, Ingram is the one. I would put Ingram behind both those guys, I think, just because of... So it's the same thing we were talking about earlier on with like how much is Ingram really, you know, he and Zion are both on the same team. In theory, they should be a little better than they are, particularly because it's not like they're surrounded with totally terrible players. Uh, so it's a little weird to me that they're they're not better than they are considering just how prolific the two of them are. Like they're both 20 plus point per game scores, great passers. And, you know, I think the big thing holding both of them back and in turn the Pelicans is defense. Uh, which is kind of unfortunate with Zion because everybody thought he was going to be a, a fantastic defender coming out of college, but it seems like he's he's not quite as good as everybody envisioned. Uh, same with Ingram. I mean, he's got all the tools to be a great defender, but just kind of isn't one. So I think that's kind of the swing thing with him versus like Brown to me. Like I would consider Ingram and Brown to be pretty similar players, um, you know, just in the way that like what role you would slot them into and that sort of thing. But I think Brown's a better defender. All in all, uh, Michael Porter Jr. comes in at number 14. And I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't know if I would put like John Morant's next on the list at 15. And I, I know Jaws having a, a really bad uh, three point shooting year this year. But, uh, you know, he's he was pretty much the catalyst in the Grizzlies, like being a playoff caliber team these last two years. And I don't. I don't think Michael Porter Jr., if you put him on a team that wasn't the Nuggets, like I think that he's one of those that gets the fact that he's on a really good team helps him out a lot um, as far as public perception and stuff of his skills. Cause I think he's very talented, but I think if he wasn't on one of the best teams in the West, we'd be talking about like, Oh, this is a guy who's pretty talented, but he's, he, he can never be better than the third best player on a, a team with any sort of real aspirations because he just doesn't play defense. You know, like he's, legitimately clueless on defense. Uh, so it's it's really hard to have him rank that high to me. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I think I'd push back on that a tiny bit. I, I think last year that was definitely true for him, but he's, I mean, not that I've watched a ton of Nuggets this year, but when I when I have watched them, I think he's gotten better on that end and, and to a point like where he still makes those like insane, horrible, like what the heck is this guy doing? Like he kind of has a little Kevin Knox syndrome um, where, where he just makes those insane mistakes. But he also stretches where he looks really good and moves his feet well and is a big guy. And offensively, I mean, I, I just think the dude is like a ridiculous talent. And with him and Murray both, it's a little hard to separate what's them being so good and what's Jokic being like the best passing center ever. So that that's a fair point. But his ability to rise up and, and score, it's it's a little, I mean, this is sacrilegious, but it's it's a little Durantian. Like it almost, it, it's not a def, the defense dictating whether or not he makes his shots, like that's almost not a factor, just whether or not he, he hits it. So 
Uh, but Morant, insane talent. I mean, I, he really impressed me in that game against Portland last year, the, the play-in game, where he dropped like 36. I think I'm with you. I think I would slightly, slightly, slightly lean Morant, especially because I have more concerns about Porter, uh, Michael anti-vaxxer Porter uh, personality-wise than I do Morant. But, uh, man, Porter is really talented. So I actually, I, 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 I knew, when I first saw that, I was like, what? But I think overall, I don't take huge issue with it. All right, uh, Trey Young, sixteen. I think I think that's a little a little disrespectful. I don't. I know I know we're Trey Young haters uh, on this podcast, and I I kind of get it. It seems like all of his teammates going back to college really really don't like playing with him. But like on paper, is Jamal Murray actually a better basketball player than Trey Young? Those are two guys that basically do all the same things. I know I know Murray plays better defense, but on offense, I mean maybe it's maybe it's just context, but. I think I think Young's the better offensive player, but maybe it's not worth it if all, if all of his teammates hate playing with him. I don't know if I have a strong feeling on that, Alex, but I feel like Young, he, despite all the antics and everything that goes with him, he, he's a little bit too good to be 16 on this list. Yeah, I would push back on that and say, like, you know, same deal of like, well, how much is his skill set going to win you? But the Hawks are actually kind of on a tear right now, and they've surpassed the Knicks in the standings. <laughs> um, you know, it's not entirely because of him, but he's obviously the engine of that team who's guiding them there, you know, he's, he's pretty damn good. You know, I, I think for example, there's like a really big gap between him and the next guy on the list who I'll, I won't spoil just yet. Cause I was going to like give young stats. I mean, he's like, he's averaged for the last two years, last year, almost 30 points per game, nine assists shot 43 and a half percent, 36% from three um, and 86% from the free throw line. Largely similar stats this year, but shooting way less threes, probably because he's trying to set up more for his teammates. Um, but averaging 25 points, nine and a half assists this year. I think the big thing is just the defense to me, though, with him. It's like, it would would you ever be able to win a championship with Trey Young as your best player or anything close to your best player? I don't think you could because he's just going to be letting up so many points at the point of attack, unless you can literally just put together like the monsters of defense behind him. Um, I don't know that you could do that. And it, unfortunately, I, I don't know that he can ever be like, if, if you were going to build a team with him on it, I don't know if he can ever be like the third option because he just needs the ball in his hands pretty much all the time. Um, I guess we're sort of seeing that play out with, with Brooklyn where like James Harden and Kyrie Irving are doing pretty good together uh, and seem to be able to find a way to share the rock. Despite the fact that like, Harden is like a like a supersized version of what you get out of Trey Young, uh, as far as the creation and the scoring and everything. Um, and Kyrie is kind of similar in a way as well to Young, just without like the the assist totals. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he could be co-starring with someone, but in reality, it would probably be like him and like a really good wing and a really good um, you know center or something. But you couldn't have him with like another primary creator. I don't think because I just don't think that would mesh with him and that would be the problem. Uh, so that that's maybe where I I say this could be an okay ranking given the criteria for this, which is how like how would you rank these guys as far as how you you would want them for the rest of their career? Maybe just the limitations hold him back enough for me to to make me keep him you know kind of off the list there. But Gavin, I gotta I gotta take another break here to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. That's right, Built Bar. We just had Built Bar Madness. Congrats again 
to coconut brownie chunk, the best flavor in Built Bar, dumb, I guess, uh, that we have right now based off the fan votes. But there are plenty of other great flavors out there as well. Some other ones that finished really high in Built Bar Madness that didn't get one shining moment, but, you know, it's okay. They they still, you know, they, they put on in the big dance and had a good time. Like Cookies and Cream, one of my favorites. Uh, cherry Barcia, Caramel Brownie, Coconut Almond, another of my favorites. Tastes like an Almond Joy. Peanut Butter, Salted Caramel, Toffee Almond, all these great flavors. All Built Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew, and they are great for the health-conscious guy. That's because they have uh, high protein, low calories, and high fiber and low sugar. So basically all the things you want out of a protein bar and something that tastes like it should be sold at the candy bar section of the the grocery store. Uh, It's really that tasty. For example, a coconut almond bar has 18 grams of protein, only 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. Cookies and cream, again, one of my favorites. 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs. If you want to pick up some Built Bars for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you will get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Alex, we also got to tell the people about Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's completely free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if, it's a very big if, use our promo code LOCKEDON. BetOnline, your online sports Book experts and with that we are back on locked on Knicks where you learn everything you need to know about the Knicks but we know from past history that you guys are also big fans of the draft so if you want to get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft you can do so with the locked on NBA draft podcast that easy scouting reports draft rumors mock drafts and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credential draft experts follow the locked on NBA draft podcast on the Odyssey app That's A-U-D-A-C-Y app or wherever you get podcasts. All right, Alex, it has come time. Uh, The first spot, we were were in agreement on this. You could defensively rank R.J. Barrett number 17. Again, ESPN did not have him on the list whatsoever. And here they have Mikkel Bridges, who I want to make clear, I am a massive, massive fan of. I've said it many times on this pod. The Suns are my second team. Mikkel is, I'm trying to think, yeah, he's he's kind of like the quickly equivalent on the Suns, just like a young player who, who really can't do anything wrong, except unlike quickly, who hasn't been playing so well of late, Bridges really can't do anything wrong because he, he scores well, he's hyper-efficient, one of the best defenders in the entire NBA, gets these crazy dunks off of, of dribble handoffs every day, not because he's a great athlete, but because his arms are like 15 feet long. He's a lot of fun, but he is never going to be a primary option in the NBA. He's 24 and a half years old only averaging 13 per game. R.J. Barrett, on the other hand, Alex, we, we've seen it developing over the last few weeks, took a big step last night, hitting a really nice off-the-dribble three. He is turning himself into someone who could eventually be the first or second guy on, on a really good team. How good of a team? We, we don't know that yet. It's going to be a few years before we find out his ceiling in that capacity. But at least he has that ceiling in play. Bridges does not. 
So it's a little mystifying to me that he's clear cut ahead of RJ. Not to say there aren't plenty of scenarios and worlds where he is ultimately the better player, but to have him at 17 and RJ not on the list, it, it feels a little bit wrong to me. Yeah, it does. I mean, if you take a sample, you know, you could take a number of samples of, of RJ's season this year, but his last 23 games, for example, averaging 18.5 points, 5.6 rebounds, 3 assists, uh, shooting 47% from the field, 44.7% from three on four attempts per game, and shooting 72.6% from the free throw line on four attempts per game from there. Uh, to your point, you're you're not going to get that out of McCall Bridges. Like he's he has a he has a ceiling of like I'm trying to think of what a comp would be. Would like Tayshawn Prince maybe be a good yeah, ceiling? That's a, that's a really good one. Yeah, like he's maybe you know he could become a Tayshawn Prince maybe where he maybe in McCall's best year he averages 15 points and is a super lengthy defensive stopper. You know that that really plays a good role on a on potentially a championship team. I mean, he might play that sort of role on a championship team this year uh, because he's on a team with Devin Booker and with Chris Paul and DeAndre and, and all these other guys, it's not necessarily, you know, they're not going to win the championship because of him. And he's, he's more than likely at least on offense going to be the fourth, fifth highest reason that they would win a championship. Whereas RJ Barrett, I think is showing there is at least a chance that he could probably be like the second best scorer on a championship team. Um, I don't know if it's super likely, um, you know, he, I think he's probably on, if he stays with the Knicks, you know, he'll probably be the the third best player on a team, you know, that the Knicks put together that could potentially win a championship, which it would be like star TBD, Julius Randall, RJ Barrett, I think could be a team that could really compete in a couple of years when RJ, you know, develops a little more, but there is also a chance that RJ could be, you know, a, a, one of the top two options on a team that really has something to play for too. So I just, it's not going to happen for McCall Bridges. Like he came into the league as an old rookie and, you know, now he's an old third year player and he's really, really good. And he has gotten better in some respects, but I think, yeah, this is the first spot where I would say I I could definitely see putting RJ here. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis is the next one. And we were talking about him before the show. First off, he barely qualifies for this. He's 24.9 years old uh, and gets the 18th spot. Now, he's already a two-time All-Star. Uh, we've seen, you know, that he can he can play pretty, you know, like he, he plays sort of a Julius Randle role for them in a way, but I would argue that he's probably not as good on defense. Um, but, you know, he can, he can initiate a little bit. He could pass really well, really good rebounder, good finisher inside, stuff like that. Actually, I guess like he's yeah, not, not the shooter Randall is either. I'll say yeah, that. he's not the shooter Randall is. So, you know, if you trade out inside finesse for some of Randall's shooting, that's sort of like where the, the, you know, delineation is between the two. But I just don't know. Like, I, I don't know how, again, this list is like a future looking list. I don't know how much better he can get. And again, I don't know, you know, how much he's worth to like a championship team because you were saying this before the show, but you think he's kind of like a four or five tweener in sort of a dangerous way to, you know, how it could affect his long-term viability. Yeah. I think he's, he's, he's like a really interesting case of someone who like, like you have, you have the extreme cases of the guys like Greg Monroe, right. Who, who would have been really good players 20 years ago, but just, just don't really fit in the modern NBA. And Sabonis is kind of a tweener in that sense, in that he has some of the skills you want with like how creative of a passer he is as a big guy, the fact that he's pretty mobile. 
But the fact that like if you're a big and you can't stretch the floor and you can't protect the rim, what are, what are you doing? What are you? You're not you're not really a power forward. You're not really a center. And 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 you you made this point as well. Um, the fact like right now he's kind of protected from all that because he plays with just about the perfect archetype of a center in Miles Turner to cover up for their skills. A guy who can block shots on D and and, and basically stand outside the three point line pretty often on offense. Um, and even with that, it's an awkward fit. And and people have, for years have talked about how there, there's kind of a cap on the ceiling of, of those two, Sabonis and Turner, playing together. So I I just don't I, I think he's he's a better player in a vacuum than his actual utility in the modern NBA. So I would I would on I I can legitimately say even though he's a two time All Star, I would rather have RJ Barrett right now. And and if say if I'd said that preseason, I would have thought that's insane. But that's the level of progress RJ has made. 19, Anthony Edwards is, is the first one where I actually go back, where I would lean towards Edwards, and I, I, I was a little prescient on this, Alex. I put out a poll on Twitter uh, right after they played the T-Wolves, and it, was, it went 61-39 in, in Edwards' favor, though that was retweeted by our, our main Lockdown NBA account that everyone should check out if they don't already follow. Um, so maybe it was more of a national audience. But I, I think I like Edwards' upside. I I, th- I, th- I just think his ceiling is so much higher than RJ's. Like you, you could see a world where Edwards is, and this is this is unlikely. This is maybe like a one in ten outcome, but where he's a top three to five player in the NBA, and RJ, as good as he could be, maybe that's more like a one in like fifty to a hundred outcome for him. Um, and 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 the counter argument would be, all right, but RJ is just much much better right now and much more consistent, and that's totally fair. Um, it, it's a very interesting debate. I can't say I lean strongly one way or another, but if you, if you put a gun to my head or even in a less dramatic situation, just said pick one, I, I think I would take Edwards. Yeah. I'm probably still going RJ over Edwards, uh, which we kind of, we just had that debate the other night. So I guess if you want to listen to us go more in depth on that, go back to our episode after the Minnesota game. Cause we had a, a little debate about that in the final segment of that episode. Uh, next guy up is Deandre Ayton. And this is another one where I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. Like, if you want to talk about, we were just talking about Sabonis. Like, well, what does he do for you? He's a big that can't really, he doesn't really protect the paint. And this, that, and the other. Like, Aiton kind of doesn't really either. Like, he's he's got all the physical tools too, but he's just not much of a rim protector. And he sort of strikes me as like, he's almost on like a like an Andre Drummond career path it feels like where he's just going to be this high points high rebounds guy that that hurts alex that hurts he's better than that okay all right maybe a little but i mean i'm just talking like generally at least i didn't say ennis Cantor. i I Um, really i don't think he's a bad defender i don't i don't know if he's like elite top tier but he he's like i don't know he he, the thing with him is he's so inconsistent and i would say it's him and rj are polar opposites in the sense that like ayton has every single like I mean, I, I know this is kind of what you're getting at. Has every single like physical talent you could want in the world, and not that he doesn't play with heart, but he just doesn't bring it every night, and he doesn't do the right things all the time. Or to your point, like the fact that he only like year in and year out, he's averaging like two or three free throws a game with his size, strength, and athleticism. That's what scares me about Aiton. I think more than his defense. While RJ, um, I think is every intangible you could ever want. Yeah, I you know I I think that's. The big thing, plus just like the utility of their two positions, right? Like if you have a center that is a so-so defender, like as you said, it's kind of a an effort issue or like a, I don't know, like a getting lost sometimes issue, whatever. 
you have a guy like that who plays a position that's less premium in the NBA these days versus RJ who plays the wing, which is the premium position in the NBA is very smart, good passer, great defender. It, to me, it's a no brainer. Like I would go RJ Barrett all day over Deandre Ayton, just cause I'm like, what is, what is really Ayton's, you know, utility if he, if he can't defend the rim, which is like the biggest thing for, for centers these days is like, you could be as talented of a scorer as you want, as talented of a rebounder, but you really need to be able to make sure the guys can't get to the rim to keep teams honest. And that's so key for like a team like the Knicks too. And it's part of why the Knicks have been, you know, one of the top five defenses in the league this year is because they've had two guys that while they're limited offensively, Mitchell Robinson and Erlens Noel have anchored a, you know, top uh, five defense for pretty much the whole year. And, you know, I don't think the eight could do that if he was on the Knicks and, because of his lack of three-point shooting ability, I don't know that he's that he would add any new wrinkles on offense either that would then in turn like make the Knicks that much better of a an offensive team. You know what I mean? So I, I would go RJ all day. Um Tyrese Halliburton's the next one. This is the first one I guess to kind of make our make our blood boil a little bit. Um the guy that the Knicks, you know, could have taken this year at the OB pick, as has been said a million times, though we might not have quickly if that's the case. Um, I mean, he's really good, but again, I think he's kind of situational, right? Like you were just talking about RJ hit a pull up three in the Nets game, you know, and that's something that we're starting to see him do because we've seen him sort of practicing for pull up threes by taking lots of pull up twos lately. Um, he takes a lot of shots like right around the free throw line and he's been splashing them like crazy. Now he's starting to do it from three and that's like a big step in his development. Halliburton is mostly a catch and shoot guy. Um, and he can run a little bit of like basic pick and roll or whatever, but I wouldn't say any more than what RJ can. Meanwhile, he's not like the best finisher in the world. You know, he's a really good three point shooter, but I think he's, I, I say this in like the most complimentary way possible, but he's like a a gadget player. You know, he's like a high level role player more so than a guy that you can, you know, trust uh, to just like dribble the ball down the floor with the game on the line and like make a shot sort of thing. Um, And you know, I think that RJ is also starting to make a case for himself as far as efficiency too, where you could look at his full year numbers and say, oh, he's shooting, I think he's at like 36% right now from three or whatever. But there's a very clear indication that like outside of the initial bad, like 15 game sample or whatever, where he just shot horribly, like enough to like tank his percentages pretty much the whole year. uh, He shot like 40 to 45% from three for almost like, most of 2021's calendar, you know, like since like midway through January or, or like mid to late January, he's been shooting like 45% from three. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that there's just a higher ceiling as far as skill set with RJ versus Halliburton as well. And I would probably take RJ over him too. I think it's, it's a really interesting debate because our Halliburton to your point will never have the ceiling that RJ does, but RJ, I think if, if RJ doesn't hit his ceiling, I don't know if he can be as good of a role player as Halliburton is because I, I just don't think he's as good of a shooter. Halliburton, 48% from the field, 42% from three, um, small sample size on the free throws, but just under 88% on free throws. Um, at least as good. I mean, right now I would say a better passer than RJ is five assists per game. And, and some of the reads he makes are nuts and his ability to ma- manipulate a defense is nuts. And you see that in fits and spurts with RJ, but Halliburton is just a little bit more consistent in it right now. Halliburton, I'd say better off-ball defender. RJ, better on-ball defender. 
it's it's a fascinating debate. I think he, I think you got to take RJ because of the ceiling and the fact that he's he's still a year younger than Halliburton is. But it it would really depend on I like I get my premise with all these is if I'm starting a team and I can and I'm just picking these guys in order and and this is the first guy I have on my team, which one I would take. Um, but if you're looking at it as like I'm finishing a team with one of these two guys, it would it would so depend on who else is on the team. So fascinating, fascinating argument. I, I'm with you, Adeline. RJ, Alex, we're running kind of low on time. Can we? Can we finish this up by saying the final four of John Collins, Jared Allen, Lonzo Ball, Colin Sexton? Interestingly, Colin Sexton is last on that list. He's probably the one guy in that group I would legitimately consider over RJ. Yeah, that's probably the only one left for me too. Like John Collins, not a great defending big, scores, rebounds, whatever. Fine, cool, but RJ has more skills, higher ceiling. Jared Allen, basically a not as good Mitchell Robinson pass uh Lonzo Ball uh, same deal as with Halliburton I think they're very similar as players and that they're not really initiators uh necessarily although both really good passers and good three-point shooters and all that stuff so both very good players but I would take RJ over them Colin Sexton yeah that's the only guy that kind of kind of gives me pause a little bit but not really um I I think I would still take RJ over him just because of the defense I think RJ is a more consistent and better defender than Sexton is so that's where I'm at there. I guess we could just close with, so when we were going over these lists, RJ was actually, so I had the three writers listed, uh, Bobby Marks, uh, Kevin Pelton, and Mike Schmitz. RJ did actually make two of their lists. Uh, he made on Schmitz's list, he was 24th. And on Marks's list, he was 22nd. I almost wish the ESPN would have uh, put out like the full lists from these guys. Like I, they probably had them rank out 40 or 50 guys to get a good, you know, sampling for the numbers or whatever. But I wish they would have shown just how low Pelton has him and who he still had ahead of him because that's just ridiculous, man. I don't, I mean, Pelton had also like, like OG Ananobi on his list at number 21. He had Keldon Johnson at number 25 over RJ. He had RJ's own teammate, Emmanuel Quickly, at number 24. It just, Pelton's list was bizarre. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I actually ironically sort of agree with the top end of it to some degree more other than he was probably one of the lowest on Booker. But like his back end of his list was a freaking mess, man. I, I don't know what he was doing, but um, I would have loved to have seen these guys full list because I, I don't think that we're fully able to roast them properly without seeing just how many guys Pelton had in front of RJ to keep him off the list. At any rate, though, I think RJ can just continue showing out this year, and hopefully he'll make this list next year. Yeah, I think Pelton would, uh, and I think he's got on a Locked On podcast or two in the past, so maybe, maybe someone we could have on and, and he could we, we could debate him live and try and try and defend his RJ takes. I, I think a lot of it, to me, seems like most of these people still think RJ is the same guy he was his rookie year or at the beginning of this season, and, and maybe, um, for whatever reason, just haven't watched a ton of Knicks because... The, with the jumps he's made, at least to me, it seems pretty clear that he should be ahead of a lot of these guys. But we made that case pretty well ourselves, so I think we can wrap up. On that note, uh, for Alex Wolf, I'm Gavin Shaw. This was Locked on Knicks, and we will talk to you soon.